Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody, it's Bob here, and I've got Marketing Above the Noise Achieve Strategic Advantage with Marketing That Matters. And I've got Linda Popke with me today. Linda, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, what a pleasure, Bob. It's great to be here. Hey, you know, it's one of my favorite subjects, the noise, the way too much marketing and, and, and actually trying to, to get through a day without being inundated with it. Uh, do you think that's a fundamental flaw with marketing right now, that people that are still doing it the traditional way are just being lost in the, in, in the roar of everybody else's message? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's not just doing it the traditional way, but it's just trying to pile on and pile on more and more marketing techniques and more and more ways to reach people, more and more messages. All of that can make you uh, lost in the noise of what's going on because there's so many different ways to reach people today, mm. which is the good news. The bad news is everybody can do this and therefore everybody is trying to get into this party at once and it's hard to be heard. Mm. So, I mean, two things here. One, uh, if there's so many choices, do you think that marketing managers are dissipating and not being as effective because they just don't have time to manage all these different channels uh, with, the, with the time allotment that you've given, like only 24 hours in a day? I think that's part of it. I think you're, you're right that absolutely there's so much going on and then there's this desire to jump into everything. Mm. It's almost like going to a big smorgasbord, a big buffet of food and saying, I want to eat this, I want to eat that, I want to eat this. And if you, just the same way as if you were going to eat that big meal, you can have anything you want at the smorgasbord. You can even have a few things. But if you try to eat everything at once, you're probably going to get sick. Mm. And that's what a lot of marketers are doing. They just, let's, let's just throw everything against the wall, see what sticks. And some things will work, some things won't. Well, that happens. Yes, some things will work. But what also happens is you're getting lost in the noise because you're adding to the noise and the commotion of what's going on in the market. Mm. Well, and, and also, you know, we're kind of in the age of A-B testing where you do something, you test it, you change it a little tiny bit. Um, do you think that is still viable these days? I mean, if everybody's doing A-B testing, is it still effective? Well, I guess it depends what kind of testing you do. And certainly I think it makes sense to test rather than to launch a big campaign and, and throw it out there and, and just hope it works. Mm -hmm. um, but what you have to do is you have to be as specific as possible what you're testing for. And what is it that you're looking for? A lot of times I see people who want to measure based on number of clicks, number of, of, of Facebook likes, number of followers, etc. And that's a, a temporary measurement, kind of an internal metric. What you really want to get at is how are we going to move the needle um, for the organization. And so what's important is before you start getting into testing marketing campaigns is to really understand what it is you need that campaign to accomplish. What is the call to action? What is the next step? And how will you know whether that moves your business? And then you can test for that as opposed to saying, I got more people on an event or I have more people who've clicked on a, a, you know, on a link. All those things are nice, but they may not be the right thing that you're testing for. Mm. Well, and, and true, if you don't know who you're actually trying to communicate to, then what the heck are you testing for? Absolutely. And I hear too many people want to say, well, we, we, this is great for everybody. This is great for a large amount of people. And that's true. But everybody, in quotes, is not your target market. 
because depending who I am and what my characteristics are, I have different objectives, I have different concerns, there are different messages that will resonate with me. And most importantly, I'm going to go get my content in a different way. So you need to know who you're really focused on so that you can make sure that you're tailoring the message and the way that you reach them in an effective way. Mm. Uh, do you think that because there is so much social uh, conversation going on right now, and it's kind of like the age of the consumer, uh, where you know you're on Facebook, and instead of actually doing some research, you're lazy and say you ask your friends, "Hey, what's the best X to get?" And then you get inundated with you know five or ten or fifteen responses. Oh, I love this, I love that. Instead of actually checking out the marketing for that company or the information that the company is providing. Well, certainly um, your your audience is going to ask about you and they're not going to accept what you say about yourself, your brand, your products, etc. blindly the way we might have even a few years ago. We have too many ways of finding out and therefore you need to make sure that you are um, consistent in what you say and that your uh, customer experience is consistent across the board. Mm. So you cannot have a set of messages online and a set of messages offline and do something one place and someplace another place and expect that to all come together. It needs to be consistent and you need to be focusing on your employees and how they deliver that message as well because more and more what our, our customers and prospects are doing is they're commenting about the whole experience. And that person who greets you at the door or who takes care of you when you have a problem or uh, makes sure that the product works correctly and that you're using it effectively, that's the person that's helping to shape the experience, which is then being talked about on Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Twitter, et cetera. Well, and not only that, because you know that's great business advice for 10 years ago, but now what I think a fundamental flaw with a lot of companies is, is they give the social media communication arm very little, uh, well, not budget, but, but respect in the sense that they give it to a junior person that really has no reason to be doing stuff. The people that are on Twitter and the people that are on Facebook representing the band brand on their uh, social media sites should be very high up in the organization, probably in the sales division, so they can answer specific questions. And if there's a problem, they can get to a person that can answer and give some great customer service because for now, that's gold. Absolutely. And, and I'll do, just to give you an example, I, I had an issue with a particular brand, and I won't mention it here, but I tweeted about it, and immediately their social media person got back and said, oh, that's terrible. I'm going to raise this to corporate, etc. Two months later, I never heard anything, and I got back to the social media person, no response. So they were doing the right thing in that they were monitoring their social media feeds. They responded quickly. They said the right things. And then it obviously was a very junior person, and what happened with that input got lost totally in the corporate headquarters. Nobody ever responded. Uh, and it was quite obvious that what was going on with social media was totally disconnected from the people who made the decisions about customers, brands, etc. And it, it hurts them. It's going to hurt them on an ongoing basis until something bad really happens and they'll be forced to deal with it. Yep, and which is kind of not a very good way to be running a business. I no. Mean, if, if, you know, for a lot of people have a hard time grasping the, what we just talked about is the importance, the ROI of social media. I mean, everyone, oh, where's our money? Where's the ROI? Let's forget about all that. Imagine if you're a customer service telephone operator and somebody called you back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago and said, hey, I have a problem with this product. And you say, hey, no problem. We'll get to it. I'm going to talk to the upper management. We're going to fix this. And then you had to call them back three or four times and they didn't answer the phone. How pissed off would you be? 
Oh, absolutely. You'd be really angry. Yeah. So if you put it in that context, suddenly people go, yeah, but I mean, that's not what social media is. That's exactly what social media is. And until people get it, they're in trouble. And social media, I think what's important is a lot of marketers think social media is for talking and communicating, but communication is a two-way street. So we need to be listening as well. And one of the worst things you can do is ask a customer or prospect for their input and then ignore it. Because now I'm even more angry than when I started. Before I may have thought you weren't listening. Now I know you're not listening and you don't care. Yep. And so it's absolutely important. If you ask for my input and you acknowledge that you've got my input, you need to do something to close the loop and let me know that you care about me. Well, it kind of goes back to the beginning of the conversation too where we're, we're talking about people aren't investing enough time in specific platforms. They say, oh, well, we'll do them all and then not have enough time to actually do what we just talked about, which is have a conversation, build up a relationship. And if you're not going to, if you, if you don't get that that is the strategy of getting involved at a platform, and I'm, I mean, you don't even have to talk about the classic social media platforms. It could just be, uh, going to different, uh, um, groups that are discussing and different forums and getting involved on a forum level. You don't have to be using social media, but it's still a time investment and it has to be a time investment with somebody that can actually change and shift policy within a company because if you're listening and not reacting, in the long run, you're losing. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So you really do need to, to pay attention to what's happening on the front lines because here's the thing. A customer that is complaining is giving you a gift. Because they care enough about you to say, hey, Bob, I'd like you. I like your product, but I don't like the way I'm being treated, and I want you to take care of that. And that gives you an opportunity to fix what's wrong and strengthen the relationship. If I didn't care about you at all, I wouldn't even bother to tell you that you had a problem. So I'm still engaged with you at that point. But what you need to do is you need to turn that around, kind of like jujitsu. You need to turn that force around and create a stronger relationship with that customer moving forward. Absolutely. Now, let's dig down on this book a little bit. I mean, it's got a ton of information in it. Uh, it's broken up into uh, four sections. And for, for, for me, what I wanted to ask you was, if somebody doesn't have a ton of time, where should they, where should they go? What should they read? Wow. What should they read? Well, I think there's a couple things. I think just starting in the beginning and understanding what I mean by noise. And, what I, and there's mm. two, two types of noise. One is that there's... There's a noise in the marketplace, which we've been talking about, but there's also noise in your organization. And that is, if you're a marketer in an organization, you cannot just go out unilaterally and make decisions. You need to be involved with sales, with product marketing, with, um, with customer support. You need to make sure you're in, in line with the executives and with IT so that all that big data comes together and is useful and not just a lot more information. So it's important to understand what I mean about that and what hasn't changed, which is that Over thousands of years, we've still been doing marketing the same way. We need a strategy like you mentioned before. You need to know your customer. You need to have a good product, et cetera. So understand that piece. And then I would say if there's something in particular that you're interested in, because we talk about customer, I talk about reputation and branding, I talk about demand generation, how marketing and sales can work together how you can leverage big data, how employees can uh, really amplify your brand and and raise the volume. So if there's an area that you have a specific interest in, then it probably makes sense to focus on those chapters and go there next. You've been doing this for a long time, obviously. So you're gathering this information, you're putting the book together. For you, what was your aha moment where something totally crystallized for you? Well, it was interesting. I'm, I'm a musician, Bob. I play piano and I've played piano since I was 
a small child. I play classical piano. And so I think in musical metaphors, some people think in sports, some people think in terms of war metaphors, but I think in terms of music. Mm. And when the idea of noise and sound and the difference between making music and making a lot of noise, I think that made everything crystallize for me. Mm. Because what that was said to me is, is it's not just a musician playing their own piece. You're part of a bigger orchestra, so to speak, a, a bigger group of people. And you've got to, to harmonize. You've got to, to not just go forward and, and in any group of musicians, no one musician plays loudly and, and in control all the time. There's Otherwise, it gets boring. Mm-hmm. So you need to work together and you need to make sure you're getting the right sound at the right time. And as a marketing executive, you're almost like the conductor. You're orchestrating this. You have to understand when do you bring in the strings and when do you bring in the percussion and when do you hear the, you know, the, um, the brass or whatever it is. So it, it, the whole idea of, of using music, which is um, positive sound versus noise, which is negative sound, and how can we use that? I think that was a really kind of a big aha moment for me. And, the, and what's interesting is what we consider to be beautiful sound and good music changes over time. Even if we go back 20, 30 years and we think, or, or you know, more, maybe 40 years, I guess, and we think about some of the musicians that came in the 60s and 70s, and you think about the adults um, of that age saying, oh, my God, that rock music is terrible. And then you go fast forward to today, and, you, and there are parents saying, oh, my God, that, that music that they're listening to today is terrible. But our, our, our appreciation for what we think is good changes over time, but we still have to have the basics and we still have to have this ability to capture people's attention and get them to listen. Yeah, it's really interesting because it, you know, it goes hearts back to many of the art forms where when it's initially brought, uh, brought forward into the society by the, the leader, uh, Marcel Ducamp, let's say, in, with pop art, it was like, criticized and you're crazy you can't have an upside down urinal that's not art and you said yes it is because i'm an artist and that's my statement now we fast forward to today and that's like almost passe that whole concept compared to the art that is shocking today same with the music concept but as a marketer should you be on the cutting edge and shocking people and getting their attention of course having that back-end stuff we talked about with the customer service and the consistent communication but really to break through the noise do you have to be doing stuff that is almost uncomfortable for people well i I think there's a couple of things you want to be looking and making sure that you are doing the right thing to reach the right audience and certainly if your audience is on the edge and they're expecting you to be on the edge and you need to be out there uh, you cannot be playing music that's blasé to a, to a group that's, that's really looking for, for new age and, and what's happening now. Um, on the other hand, if your audience is a little bit more traditional, then you do not need to be out trying every single new thing that comes along. Because some of these things, I mean, in the time we've been, we've been talking, there's probably been some new marketing technique or tactic or social media platform that's been invented and launched somewhere. And is that going to be the next one that's going to hit the world like like Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn? We don't know. But you don't have to be on all of them. I can tell you that of all the things that are going to be launched, only a few are going to, to maintain the test of time. And we don't know what those are yet. So it's not necessarily to, um, as a brand to go out and, uh, and, and try to get on everything all the time, but to be very strategic and say, here's who I want to talk to and here's how they're consuming content today. Here's who they trust. Here's who they listen to. Here's how they find out information, and that's where I need to be. In some cases, you're going to want to be trying everything that's new. In others, you're going to want to go back and try things that are a little bit more traditional. I, I profile a company in the book called Zillow, which is an online real estate marketplace. 
when they first uh, started out in, in 2006, 2007, there was no online real estate marketplace. So they had to go create that. They had to kind of create their own noise. But after going out and creating that and, and creating content and pro- becoming the content provider for, uh, for most uh, sources looking for good data about the real estate market, a few years ago, they went back and said, we've looked at our brand. The people who know us love us, but a lot of middle America doesn't know us. And how did they go out and, and get known? They went back to broadcast TV. And you're saying, broadcast TV? Does anybody watch TV anymore? Well, obviously, because that really helped their brand. And so, in other words, here's a company that, that is totally born in the Internet age, totally online, uh, doesn't exist in the physical world whatsoever, and they went back to a traditional marketing and advertising mechanism. So you've got to look at the new, you've got to look at the old, and you've got to look at what works for your particular situation. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head uh, in going back to uh, you have to understand – where your market is, and then you really got to get into their heads and, and understand how they want to be communicated to. And obviously, they're not going to want to be communicated to the same way. But if some of that communication is based on radio, they like to listen to radio, maybe it's radio and podcasting. If they like to be communicated to by watching TV ads, well, then great, do TV ads, but maybe also consider doing billboards in their particular area, and then supporting um, community-based stuff if they're in those type of realms. And I think fundamentally, you, you know, a lot of times I'll go into a client and we're talking about marketing and that's the first question I ask. So who are you selling to? Do you, how many different um, demographics are we talking about here? And 99.999% of them don't know. And I, I know that sounds really harsh. And I think including in that 99.99% is people that have an inadequate understanding of what their target demographic is. Oh, we want to talk to uh, males 45 to 60. I say, yeah, what type of males? Well, <laughs> that type of, no, that you got to break it down way more than that. And nobody's doing that. No, I absolutely agree. And the people who are doing that are the ones being successful. Oh, I mean, just to say that, you know, to say men 45 to 60, there's not a lot of 45 year old man has in common with a 60 year old man. And if we start to look at demographics in terms of and psychographics of, of age and ethnicity and are they married, do they have kids, where they, or are they in their lives and their careers, that's not a, a homogeneous group. So you're absolutely right. Uh, and just going back and, and putting forward uh, some kind of big broad statement, here's who we want to talk to, doesn't help. You need to go out and you need to start really understanding your customer so much that you can paint a picture of him or her and say, here's what they look like. Here's what they eat in the morning. Here's where they go for their information. Here's the activities they do at night. And the more you can really focus on that, the more you can start to put yourself in their shoes and give them the type of information they need in the way that they want to appreciate it. Absolutely. And, you know, for companies to say, oh, we, we, we don't know how to do that, there are tons and tons of online services that do that. I mean, it's simpler and easier and more cost-effective today than has ever been to really drill down and get those caricature type of things. I mean, it's so powerful. I mean, okay, here's an exercise to all the listeners. You do something like that, and then you get the, the, the caricatures made up, and you give that to your sales team and say, look, at if you see this person, this is how you sell to them, and here's the script. If they follow that, you'll have... 15 to 20% increase in closes uh, within two weeks. Absolutely. Here's the other thing you do. You take your, your marketing folks and you say to the sales team, we want to just sit and be quiet. We don't want to say a thing. We want to listen to you on a sales call with customers that you're doing well. Mm. 
And what you're doing is you're not there to criticize, you're not there to add any input, you're just there to watch and see how those messages you've been creating are actually resonating with customers and prospects. And any, any organization that does that will learn so much. And those people come back into marketing saying, wow, I had no idea. I just didn't understand until I got out there. So this idea of marketing and sales working closely together, we're like siblings and we like to fight a lot. But we need to remember we're on the same team and we have to figure out how we can work together to be more effective with, with both of us in line. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fundamental flaw with Marcom is that they're not doing what they're actually doing with their customers. Like the, 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 the communication division that's doing all the graphics and the, and the hiring copywriters and all that, they're doing it in a vacuum. And they're not sitting down, like you said, with the people. They're not going to the trade shows and seeing what a trade show is actually like. They've just got this ah, uh, well, you know, we'll do this and that. It'll look really cool. And then go to a trade show and see it actually being f- functioning. Totally different, totally different perspective. You're absolutely right. And that's what I mean about getting rid of this sort of internal noise, which is marketing going their way, sales going their other way, customer support. They're the people who are hearing from customers when they have a problem. All that needs to be brought back together so that you have this integrated message and you don't have this static between these different groups in the organization. Mm. Um, let's go to uh, section two because it's a good segue for what we've been talking about, you know, striking the right chord. Uh, you know, we've been talking about, okay, this is who we want to be talking to, but how do we talk to those people so it resonates? So again, it, and it depends on, on who you're talking to, but it starts by understanding who these customers are, what their issues are, um, where, where do they, they go for this information? And then what we need to do is be careful about how we communicate so that we're communicating in an effective manner. It's too easy to just say, if we could, if I know who you are and I know what you like, I will just hit you over the head a dozen times a day with the same message. Mm-hmm. And yes, there, there's research that says we need to hear messages multiple times, but there's also research that says the message that we've heard most recently is also the one that we're like more likely to remember. So those two things work against each other. And what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're communicating in an effective way, that everything you do reinforces that message, that nothing comes forward and, uh, and kind of interferes with that. Uh, and that you're really stopping to think about what works and asking customers what works, um, going out and, and, and seeing and measuring all the time. So we do talk about doing A-B testing, but make sure that you're measuring the big things. Are customers coming back? Are we retaining customers? Uh, I've talked to organizations that say all we do is we are compensated only on acquiring customers. That's what our goal. Somebody else is responsible for retention. Well, that says that we're just going out and, and, and throwing money in the air and, and messages out there. This is, we want you, we want you, we want you. Here, please join, please join. And you see this a lot with wireless carriers. You know, we'll cut your rate. We'll give you something free. But meanwhile, I'm an existing customer and I watch all these other promotions come out that I'm not eligible for because I'm already a customer. And I say, what are you doing for me? I've been supporting you all these years. So that that kind of disconnect between all those different functions doesn't help. You need to really look at this across an integrated um, life cycle of a customer and say, what is this worth to you in the long term? Mm. You know, you've got some great anecdotes, some close-up ones. Do you have a, a favorite? And I know that's a totally unfair question. 
Well, one of the ones that I thought was actually um, a real life experience uh, that really amplifies how important employees are was an experience I had at the Ritz-Carlton in, uh, in Florida. And as, as everyone knows, the Ritz-Carlton is known for their customer service. They talk about ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And every employee at the Ritz has a, I think, a $2,500 amount that they can spend without talking to any manager to make a customer, a guest uh, experience better. So I go into that with, you know, thinking that this is the organization where I can go and I can ask uh, employees and they're going to take care of me. And overall, that was true. Um, but being a, a pianist, I had just come from this um, week-long intensive piano camp. And a week later, I was going to be giving a, a concert back in, in California. So I wanted to practice. And then late afternoon, I said to one of the um, uh, employees wandering around, I'd like to find a piano to practice. And he said, Sure. And he takes me over to this piano off in a corner. He says, enjoy yourself. And no sooner do I start to play than a man in a kind of cheap, gray, drab-looking suit with dark sunglasses comes and says to me, uh, I'm with loss prevention. And I said, yes, can I help you? And he said, well, you, you can't play that piano. And I said, well, actually, I can. I'm actually quite good at it. And I said, but what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, we, we don't let you play the piano. And I said, well, there's very little chance of me taking the keys with me, right? Uh, if you're lost prevention, he said, no, 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 you're not allowed to play. And, and so we had this kind of interaction. He brought over a manager who said, well, we have a policy and uh, we don't let guests play the piano. And I said, am I bothering anyone? No. Do you have a problem with that I'm playing? No, you're quite good, but we have a policy. So I went away and the next morning I thought about this and I said, you know, this just does not really resonate with what I know about the Ritz. At the time, I was teaching a graduate-level course on employee branding, and I had used the Ritz as an example of how employees really build the brand. So I went to talk to the general manager, and I told him I was there for a, a conference of consultants, uh, how much I admire the Ritz, how much I use them as an example, and he was sitting there smiling. And then I said, uh, and that's why I'm so disappointed I won't be able to use you anymore. And he immediately stopped smiling. And he said, what happened? And I explained the story, and he shook his head, and he said, wow. We really have an opportunity to improve here. So what he immediately did, he said, first of all, there's no reason why you couldn't have done that. The policy, quote unquote, that we have in place is so that we don't have, we have a lot of kids and families that show up in the summer. And we don't want the little kids banging on the pianos. So that was not the occasion or, or the situation of what happened here. He said, but the way you're treated by loss prevention was inappropriate and the other things that happened here. So he said, here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to have, we have a meeting every morning. And tomorrow's meeting, we're going to discuss this with our uh, associates. They're, they don't call them employees. They call them associates with our associates so that they have kind of, we have kind of a teachable moment here. And they learn from that what the right way is to treat their customers. So there again was, was something where it's a situation that could have gone totally in, in a negative way. But when I brought that to their attention, he took the time to say, how do we learn from this? And how do we make sure that this works uh, differently in the future. And he said, and tomorrow, if you want to play a piano, I'll make sure you have one available to you. Well, you know, it goes back to earlier in the conversation where it's like they were lucky that you had the ear of the GM. Because yes. how many people have they pissed off with a policy that's similar to that on other uh, items in the hotel that were critical to that person having a good time at the hotel? You're absolutely right. And again, because I was engaged enough that I said, wait a minute, this is, I want to see how they answer this. I want to see how they respond. Mm. I brought it to their attention. But how many times do you, you run a car, for example, and you return it to Hertz or National or, or, or Avis and they say, how is everything? And you say, fine. 
well, you know, the radio didn't work right or that, you know, the tires ran a little, the ride was a little bumpy, but you know that the person there isn't going to do anything about it and you don't really care. So you just say, it's fine and you go forward. Or you're standing in line at the supermarket, did you find everything that you need? Well, whether you did or not, the checker who's been asked to say that doesn't really care and he's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. So you don't make that kind of input and you don't get that feedback back to the organization. So it's great that we ask, but again, you have to feel that what you respond back is something's going to happen with it and someone's going to make a change. Oh, absolutely. But you got to also kind of look at it is that is a fundamental flaw with a lot of organizations is their inability to communicate internally. Absolutely. You know, no, I mean, that GM could have come on and say, hey, you know, we had an issue with this piano and blah, 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 and the piano this and piano that. And then everybody in the room say, ah, okay, the piano, this is how we handle it. Not understanding that the piano is a metaphor for the whole attitude shift. Absolutely. And, and that nobody's training people to do that. And nobody's mm-hmm. using organized, you know, bringing in professionals to do internal corporate communications at the level it should be. I mean, for me, this is a big new focus uh, and an aha moment for me you know, after doing over 200 business books is everybody's doing amazing marketing. There's some amazing books out there for stuff like that. But as far as internal corporate communication is, nobody's doing anything about it. And I think it's one of the reasons that a lot of these theories and, and books can't move forward. They kind of run into this corporate dunk and nothing happens and people aren't getting the fundamental change. Uh, you know, there's awesome brands out there that get that and you go into those organizations and they kind of buzz. Uh, Apple, I think, is, is an example of that where you go in and everybody is like, they get it and there's very clear uh, communication on every single level of the organization. But that is very, very rare. So for organizations that kind of have that problem, because that's what it is, how does that fundamentally change the way that they should be doing their marketing? Well, and I think you, you've really hit on something because if very few people do get this right, and I think you're right, we can usually pick out on one or two hands the companies that do. Think of the competitive opportunities in all those other organizations and all those other industries. Mm. So that's a competitive differentiator that too many companies walk away from. And what they need to do is, is, number one, you cannot do this by marketing alone. You have got to have the support of the executive team. There has got to be a mandate that comes from above that says, this is how we're going to treat our customers. This is what we're going to focus on. Marketing can't do it alone. And I think too many organizations have tried to implement marketing programs that dealt with these things without having the support of, of the executive team and sales and product development and support and, and all those other groups. And those, those initiatives have failed because they look like window dressing and they are. Mm. So what's important is to make, sure that, to make sure that as a marketing executive, you have the ear of your senior executive team and that you are part of that discussion about how do you really build the business and to work hard to ensure that you bring value to the executives so that they see you as a, uh, as a senior member and a strategic advisor and not just the people implementing the, the brand, the website, the, the, you know, the communication campaigns, all that pretty marketing communication stuff you mentioned earlier. But how, are, how does marketing really add value and help us build our business objectives? And if you start from there, then you're starting at a higher level and then have a much higher chance of success. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're commun- if you're there and you're part of their vision and you grasp their vision, as the marketing uh, manager or, or senior manager responsible for communication, if you get their vision, 
then then that then you have a real job of communicating that vision throughout the organization and then outside of the organization to the public uh, and to their customer and to their community. And I, you're right, 100% right. Unless you have somebody at the board level that's respected and can actually help the board do big things and the board's excited about that person being on board, then it, it, it's not going to be functional. You're absolutely right. Mm. You yeah. know, that another thing I realized, too, when you were saying that is companies that do that, then they cease to compete on price. That's right. Isn't yeah. that interesting? When was the last time anybody went into Apple and said, I'd like to have that new iPhone or that new iPad and I'd like it at 20 percent off? Mm hmm. You, you don't. I mean, you just don't do that because no matter whoever comes in at a cheaper price, it doesn't matter. You've got that loyalty. You've got that brand uh, awareness. And, and all of a sudden, you're competing on value and you're not competing on price. And oh. unless you're Walmart, competing on price is not going to work. Absolutely. I mean, the, the whole thing with uh, and, and, you know, this is why Apple comes up in conversations so many times because they do it right. And Anybody that's owned an Apple product and has had any problem with it, if they've gone into the store and have been upfront about it and haven't tried to basically con them and say, hey, look, I'm unhappy with this phone. It fell. It cracked. I, I don't know what's going on. I've had it for three days or I've had it for a week. And the person will look at it and say, oh, that's terrible. Here's a new one. That's it. That's, that's, the, it. that's the discussion. And sure, there's some people out there that, that try and abuse that, but it's, that's irrelevant for the amount of money the company makes for, for people buying the product with confidence far outweighs the very, very small percentage of the people that are going there and trying to game the system. You're absolutely right. I mean, look at Zappos as, oh as gosh, another yeah. example. You know, send the shoes back. And now the other thing that Zappos does is when they hire new employees, customer service reps, they train them, they give them enough time to, to get on board. And then they say, how do you feel about this? Because if you don't feel that you really are impassioned and you really are on board with the way we do business, here's money to leave. We don't want you here if you're not going to be really, really passionate about what you do. And so that's important because they say we want this team to be part of this and to understand how important it is to drive these values. Mm. Yeah, you got to be on fire, as they say. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to. I really want to talk about above the noise because obviously that's what the book is about. We've kind of talked about it a little bit, but let's really dig down in what can an organization do to be above the noise? I think there are a couple of things. You need to start with a clear strategy. And again, the strategy isn't that I, I'm going to increase my market share uh, or my brand awareness by X, but it says, here's what we really want to accomplish from a business perspective. Um, and here's where we're going to go with that. So start with a clear strategy. Ha understand who your customers are. Understand uh, your market and what's changing. You know, is your market being disrupted? Are, are you in the taxi market and in comes Uber, right? I mean, the taxi market didn't change for 100 years, and now that's totally disrupted how we can move around and get, get transportation. And certainly Airbnb has done that and Zipcar and a number of other companies. But are you in a market that's going to be disrupted? And do you want to be the disruptor or do you want to be the one who comes in afterwards and takes advantage what you don't want to be is the one that gets dumped on because you did it the old way. So understanding those things, understanding, know what your brand is, know what people think about you, understand what your customers think, understand the sales process and how they reach out to, to customers, whether it's direct through sales reps or whether it's indirect through channels, uh, going through all of that and understanding uh, you know, how, you, how you actually get out and communicate. Where do you go out and communicate? What's the best way to reach people? So going back to those basics, uh, and I outline eight factors in the book, 
And then five momentum factors that say, here's how within an organization you push the marketing organization forward and you're more successful within the organization. But doing all those things will really help you get above the noise. Well, you know what? That that was my next question is how do you move that new thing forward? So let's touch on all five of those points. So the five points to start with, that we, we've talked a little bit about them. The mm. first is you need to be aligned with the executive team. You need to have that organizational commitment. Uh, marketing cannot do this alone. And you cannot do this if you are seen as the order taker, the fulfiller, the people that are off just implementing. And in too many organizations, we find that we find the focus on the marketing communications function, which is important. I've done marketing communications, but we don't find the, the strategy and understanding how that those messages tie back and, and how that becomes part of the bigger organizational goal. You need to have enough resources. And that's not just enough to go out and kind of stick your toe in the water, but you need to say, if I'm going to go jump into this market, what do I need to get in there and swim forward and not be kind of stuck at sea? Uh, you need to have the right people. And that means not just having enough people, but ha- understanding the right people, both in terms of leading the organization, but in developing your people, looking at the skills that you're going to need moving forward. The team that you may have in place that worked 10 years ago, five years ago, may not be the right skill set moving forward as we move into more of a digital age. And how we're going to develop those people and how we're going to make sure that they're all talking the same language and understand what our objectives are. You need to have the right technology, which is not to say you need to have every technology that's, uh, that's been invented or about to be invented. And certainly in marketing, we're seeing uh, just this huge overwhelming wave of technology, of, of new marketing automation uh, uh, tools that are becoming available. Um, and it, some of those are useful for any organization. None of them are useful for everyone. Uh, and some of these tools are so robust that uh, there's just no way you can implement all the functionality. So rather than just going and, and getting the next thing, the next new thing that comes on board, understanding having technology as an enabler and not a jailer. So understanding how you can use that effectively uh, and what's right for you. And then finally, understanding this, this whole market disruption area. Where are we? And we don't exist as an island. We're in a market. We're in an industry. We're in an environment. How does that work? How do we get together and, and how do we impact that? Are we going to wait for things to happen to us? Are we going to be proactive and move forward? And how do we help our organization move forward uh, working together as, as one single entity? Mm. Well, you know, you, you brought up a, a key thing there, and I want to throw it back in there. Uh, there's a huge difference between knowing and understanding, and I think the marketing manager of today has to understand all the tools that they have involved so that they can advise uh, people above them and people below them what needs to be done and how it will work. You can't just know about, oh, I've heard about Facebook. It sounds awesome. How can you advise on that? You have to go in there and say, well, we've tried this, or I've been trying for five years on Facebook to do this, and this seems to be the way to do it, so this is what I'm recommending. That's what the C-suite guys want to hear from the marketing guy. And then you you switch it around. Then you're talking to your marketing team and your executors and saying, hey, we've been doing this for five years. Let's see if we can do it better. And you know, it, it's such a simple thing. But once again, very, very few people uh, understand all the tools that are available today 
in in the in the world of marketing it is like you say a pretty crazy place to be trying to do business oh absolutely and it's going to get crazier before it comes down that's sort of the way the one thing we can count on is more change uh, <laughs> and, and I think that one more note I just want to make around big data because mm. we hear so much about big data big data it's not about generating more data and it's not even about analyzing the data though that's important we need data analysts we need people who can generate the data and analyze it but what's more important is the insights that come from that. Mm. And from the insights come judgments. And that's really where marketing can add value. Uh, and, and we can have all the data in the world, but if we're not using it effectively, it doesn't matter. And yeah. we can see organizations that just have a little bit of data, but they know what to look for. And they analyze it, they find the insights, and they move forward and they make good judgments. Hmm. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about failure because at the very, very end of the book, and I think it's a really super important point, for you, what's your stance on failure? Well, it's interesting, Bob, because we think about failure as, you know, gee, who wants to fail? None of us get up in the morning and say, am I going to fail today? Wow. Um, but we have to look at failure in the scope of innovation and scope of learning and moving forward. And if you're going to be innovative and if you're going to be creative, you're going to have some failure. But what you have to do, there's a couple of things. Number one, you need to fail quickly. If you're, if you're not going to be successful at something, let's not take a year to find that out. Mm. And that's when we go back to A-B testing and, and other things of that nature. We pilot something. We see if it works. If it works, we go bigger. If it doesn't, we move forward. And that's the second piece about failure is we don't go out and, and find scapegoats and we don't blame people. If you establish a relationship and an environment where people can be creative and can try new things, then you understand some of these things aren't going to work. And you don't, you don't berate them and you don't have uh, public floggings in the square to show who failed. Uh, but you take what's going on and you, and you figure out what to do with it. Uh, I talked to um, the folks at Wrigley's that do Skittles candy and they say, we take what we learn. Not every promotion that we do in every part of the world is, is successful. What we do do is when something works, we, we share it and we show, tell everyone else what to do. And when it doesn't work, we said, hey, we tried this and that doesn't work. That didn't work. Don't do this again. Because here's what we learned. But we don't say, hey, the guys over here are screwed up. And that's what's really important, that it's, it's a spirit of learning and how do you move forward and how do you use that information to be better in the future. Mm. Well, like the manager said, uh, it's a teaching moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I think today, and, and you know, me chatting with a lot of, of authors, I love this question because everybody is coming up with exactly the same answer. But nobody's really written a book on it, The Power of Failure. Or maybe they have. I should look it up and get them on the show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, for people that are listening, uh, what can they do today to make their marketing stand above the noise? So what can you do today? You can. The first thing I think you can do is you can look at your marketing with kind of a critical eye if you, if you already have a marketing program in place and look at that and say, how, how effective are we? And is this working? And I think you can start to, to talk to um, your constituents, whether it's your, your customers, your employees, your, uh, uh, it could be partners or, or channel partners if you're selling that way, and say, what can we do to be more effective? Uh, and one of the, the first things that people don't do enough of is to go out to your audience like your customers and say, why do you like us? Why are you, why, we love the fact that you're here with us. Would you tell us what we're doing right and what we can do better? And it sounds pretty simple, and I'm not talking about online surveys or, you know, you get your car serviced and please give us all fives when, when the survey person calls. <laughs> not that kind. I'm talking about a real conversation that says, tell us what we do right. 
and tell us why you work with us because you have other choices. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then tell us what we can do better. And what is the number one thing you'd like to see us change? And then take that information and go back and integrate that into your marketing. Um, so that if you if you have one thing to do today, go out go out and ask a customer what they uh, what they think you're doing right, and then figure out how to go market that. Hmm. Wow, powerful stuff. And uh, I tell you, if you did all those things, the next thing you want to do is go out and buy this book. My gosh, <laughs> okay. it, it, it really it really helps you focus. Um, you know, I obviously I'm in the marketing industry as well. And so much of this stuff resonates with me. So huge value. And, you know, this isn't just for the marketer, I would say for for anybody that's running a business, uh, and wants to understand what's going through their marketers head. If you're looking to hire somebody in marketing, I'd highly recommend reading a book like this, because it'll help you interview the people properly and ask the right type of questions. So your business can move forward. Of course, if you don't want your business to move forward, no big deal. Right. Uh, Linda, thanks for coming on the show. You were awesome. Oh, Bob, it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show. And do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.